right? And we've seen musicians, we have seen people that come out of nowhere that are talented, that showcase their talent vis-a-vis, again, art and entertainment. But what about, what about people that are not in those categories? Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example because I had written an article about this a while ago, and now I'm gonna rebring, I'm gonna resurface it again. What about professors? Can they be influencers? You know? So, but we haven't seen professors as influencers. Welcome to another episode of the ICSB Imagine Podcast, the most beautiful place on earth. Today we have two very special guests. Joseph Hayden and Rami Harb, who are both MBA candidates at the George Washington School of Business. Like the title states, we have a deep dive and discussion about what exactly is an influencer, the modern day entrepreneur, and the similarities between the two. Stay tuned to learn more. The influencer is a new phenomenon, but yet we see it more and more happening um, more frequently with, with the, on YouTube and so on here. But how does an entrepreneur become an influencer? We know that influencers are, 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 are entrepreneurs, but how does an entrepreneur become an influencer? Let's, let's, because as, as I think Joseph mentioned here, you know, it can, you, know, you can move from your B and you can move to A. You're an influencer that becomes an entrepreneur. But how does an entrepreneur then become an influencer? And can they? So I think you're absolutely right, Dr. Turbishi. It can work both ways. Influencers can become entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs in reverse can also become influencers. I think that in order for a established entrepreneur to become an influencer, it's all about reach, right? You have to expand beyond what you've created or you're putting out into the world and really affect change or even just become popular. It may not even be necessarily doing anything substantial, but you've connected and you've resonated with people. Uh, Another part of that too is having a personal brand. So it's not enough as an entrepreneur to just say, I've created this amazing product or service and I'm putting it out to the world. If you really want to become an influencer and really uh, affect change or or, uh, implement you know, uh, uh, a, a new way of thinking or just doing on a wide scale, you have to have a personal brand that people can resonate with. And I think you can see that with a lot of uh, people today who are in the spotlight. Take, for example, somebody like Elon Musk, you know, who has an arguably great product that he's selling, but he also has a very interesting personal brand to follow, right? And I think from that, he started as an entrepreneur, he started his businesses. And I think we can safely say that he's become somewhat of an influencer today because of not only what he's created, but because of the personal brand that he's attached to the products and services that he has created and is now offering to people all across the world. Excellent. Excellent. I know um, Joseph is back. Joseph, um, what's your thoughts? So I got to ask who we just discussed real quick because my internet dropped out. You know, we were asking. Yeah, no, no, I understand. We said that influencers can by nature be entrepreneurs because they can, like as I mentioned, you mentioned, right? That uh, she started out, but then she became an entrepreneur and now she's making 8 million and so on. But can entrepreneurs be influencers? Can they move into that realm? Of course, the answer is yes, maybe. But but what there's something more to this. What might that be? I mean, look at look at Joe Rogan. What he just signed a hundred million dollars with Spotify. I don't know what he. I guess he started out more of a as an entrepreneur and then became an influencer. Yeah, but these are 
unicorns. These are these are are examples of one in a million or something like that. But what about the entrepreneur that's running their own little online store or the coffee shop or the entrepreneur that's trying to, you know, sell their time on consulting? How will that work? You know, and what do they need to do? You know what I mean? It's we're look, we always look at success and say, well, that, look, they've done it, so it's easy. It's not easy. Nothing is easy. Well, what do you think, Rami or Joseph? Both of you? I mean, ultimately, you need a following. None of this happens if no one's listening or watching you or trust you. Absolutely. And I think one of the things we talked about is in order to get that following, you have to build that personal brand. And that's what really separates the traditional entrepreneur from the influencer turned entrepreneur is that the influencer starts by building that brand and that brand is everything. So they have to build that first. They have to cultivate it before any products or collaborations or deals come through. They have to have a brand that associates with who they are as an individual. So if you want to look at it from the reverse perspective of an entrepreneur becoming an influencer, they might already have their product or service created, which is a differentiating factor, but then they need to spend some time developing their personal brand and utilizing social media platforms, mass appeal or niche, what have you, to resonate and connect with people who may not be in their local markets, uh, but who can at least follow them as an individual. And in that aspect they can become potentially an influencer by broadening their appeal based on who they are and who their brand is not so much what they're selling see that see rami excellent excellent explanation and as well as you joseph here but that for me opens up a lot of questions but joseph jump in so so a common theme amongst pretty much anyone who uh regularly posts on uh we'll use youtube for example is just about every one of them will say, click, like, share, and subscribe. That's that's how you get pushed up to be seen by more people, sharing out with your friends, clicking the like button, uh, subscribing. Those are all increased views. And with the increased views, uh, your presence becomes more and more uh, you know, widespread. Okay. So the examples that you mentioned and the examples that I see are what I consider outliers. You know, it, outlier is not a bad word. It's just that they're, they're, they're not in the normal distribution. They they're, they're either have very strong opinions about something or, or they have some sort of a, a talent vis-a-vis uh, -vis dancing, singing, um, rapping, whatever it is. It's, it's, a talent. it's something that will grab the attention of the people for them to like and share and, and go on and then become a follower, right? What about, what about just people that are really good at doing something, right? But don't showcase it in that way. They're not out there to grab attention because in a way it's counterintuitive. The, as good as you are, you should be humble. You should be kind. You should be less flashy. But yes, in this new world, flash is good. <laughs> you know, uh, showing, showing off is, is excellent. <laughs> <laughs> right, and being provocative is is wonderful. You are the young ones. <laughs> Explain this logic to me a little bit here. You know. So we do have a question in the in the chat, uh, but yeah. I'll answer I'll answer yours really quickly, and then we'll get to the question from Kristen. Um, you know, I I think one of the most fascinating things about researching this uh, topic a little bit more further and seeing influencers who, who convert their popularity into successful businesses is that it is often one in a million, right? It, it's not everybody. And I think though, even 
before social media platforms became a thing. Um, we could argue that even in the traditional entrepreneurial landscape, not every entrepreneur is going to be a success. Not everybody who creates a product or a service is going to break through. And it might be an incredible product, it might be an incredible service that could really be beneficial to people. But that doesn't necessarily guarantee uh, that they're going to be successful. And that's the same thing with influencers. I mean, there's there's probably uh, hundreds of thousands of people who record themselves doing the most random things and put it on the internet, hoping that it will gain a following, and it doesn't. So I think this leads actually really nicely into Kristen's question, uh, what is it about the successful influencers that makes them stand out and what is the strategy? I, I almost don't know if there is something besides just what we traditionally think of uh, uh, when we're thinking of successful entrepreneurs, traditional entrepreneurs, how, how do you define that success? And sometimes there is a clear cut strategy and sometimes it's a mixture of a lot of things. They had a great product, a great brand and a little bit of luck and the timing was right. So I think when we're talking about what makes those successful influencers stand out, I think we really have to focus on one, their ability to create a personal brand and sell themselves as the product to, to viewers. Uh, and two, the timeliness. They're using platforms that are at the peak of their popularity right now. Instagram, TikTok more recently. Um, YouTube, honestly, is was where I think the modern influencers started, but I wouldn't say that it's the uh, leading platform currently. Uh, and that changes every year. Something new will come to the forefront. So what is the strategy? It's about identifying who you are as a product, as a personal brand, and knowing how to sell that uh, in your videos, uh, creating content that is appealing and can be shared. That's important too, is that these, these videos that, that go viral, the word viral in its sense means that it's been shared countless times, right? So this content has to be interesting. And third, you have to know how to reach viewers. And that means knowing which platforms are popular, which platforms are growing, and ultimately where your target audience, whether that's mass appeal or niche, where do they live, quote, quote, on social media, on platforms such as these? Where can you find them and ultimately gain as many viewers as you can? So I'd like to touch on the, the strategy aspect of it. So what I've noticed a lot lately is you'll have a much larger platform bring on maybe lesser known people as essentially as panelists. And as those panelists can make a connection with the audience for who show they're on, oftentimes people will move over and their, their, uh, their view counts, their subscriptions, all that go up simply by being on someone already recognized by the uh, consumer who's watching the content. So, okay. So again, just, just so I understand here, my, also my understanding of this, because you guys are the experts here. I'm not, I'm now, it's funny. Now I'm the troublemaker and you are the experts. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's turn the table. <laughs> let's turn the table around here. From what I've seen from the influencers are those are the individuals that are extremely rich that use their, their fame and, and, and that the Elon Musk's and stuff like that to influence people's opinions about things. We've seen him on Saturday Night Live. We've seen him um, on, on different things that have influenced even cryptocurrency when he said, oh, this is not real and all that stuff, right? And we've seen musicians, we have seen people that come out of nowhere that are talented, 
that showcase their talent vis-a-vis, again, art and entertainment. But what about, what about people that are not in those categories? Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example because I had written an article about this a while ago, and now I'm gonna rebring, I'm gonna resurface it again. What about professors? Can they be influencers? You know, so, but we haven't seen professors as influencers. You know, let's, let, and I, I know a couple of people that are really good professors in terms of research or teaching, but you, do you know that it goes against the grain of what a professor is in which they're out there using social media to showcase themselves to other people? You know, I am going to go today and I'm going to go teach in this class. And here's my statement. And here's this and here's that. And they're putting themselves out there to garner likes. It, it just, maybe I'm old school, but I find it difficult for a professor that established soccer, that spent all his years or her, all her years to be chasing likes and fans and followers. Yet, yet, at the same time, it's a new world. So you are the students here. How would you feel about this? So, Professor, I'm at the somewhat disagree with you on that uh and the example good, good. Uses, that's why we're here <laughs> the example i use is uh as last week i mean obviously everyone not everyone a lot of people in my my uh, sphere were were following the the rittenhouse trial and in following the rittenhouse trial there's a law firm called rakita law that had a handful of law professors all zoomed in with each other just discussing it and at one point they had one hundred eighty thousand people watching and they had their super chats open and I'm watching the super chat. It's $50, $50, $10, $5. I mean, and they even mentioned it a couple of times, like where else would five or six law professors be commenting on just doing, providing commentary, not providing any, any legal advice to any, just simply commentating and having that many people watch them. So again, I think if more people as come out and comment on or uh, provide their expertise on topics. Uh, people enjoy that. I think Joe's example is a, a prime example of what we were talking about a little bit earlier with aspiring influencers using timeliness and the appropriate platforms to start building their followings. And, you know, the actual subject matter of what they were talking about aside, just utilizing the timeliness of the case and the trial and using these platforms to reach a broader audience than perhaps they may have been used to is exactly what we're talking about. And it's not like overnight necessarily that's going to guarantee you're going to become a quote unquote influencer. I don't, I don't know that necessarily there's a, a tangible definition to like, or like a status that you reach that you say, oh, the person's an influencer. It's almost like you just kind of know when you see a person in, in the public eye. Um, but Building yourself up to that point, part of that strategy is knowing when to chime in uh, and how and where. And so that, that was a great example that Joe just gave um, of, you know, people who may not even necessarily want to be influencers, but not everybody who starts out doing something intends to. And sometimes there are things like overnight successes or people stumbling into success. So we can't necessarily know what their intentions were, but they did use timely you know, social issues, and they did use platforms that are new to them to expand and broaden their audience 
and in turn, they're beginning to build their brand. So who knows? That could lead to a invite to a uh, you know a news program. That could lead to an interview request, and from there you start to see the stepping stones to what we would consider uh, a modern influencer. Do you see then the opportunity for, I mentioned faculty, but there's other ones. What about students at, at colleges um, to, um, to, to, to become influencers within their school? You know, um, example, Rami or Joseph, let's say you go to one of those big schools where there's like 30, 40,000 students, Right, and and you by accident or intentional or a combination of both, then you start having a following from your colleagues and stuff because you say things or you do things that are garnering the support you want. You can have a major impact at the school just by the voice that you carry, which is the people that are supporting you, right? And is that what is coming down the horizon? And of, of student influencing universities based on their, what's the word, fan base or follower base? What, what do you all think of that? Oh, uh, absolutely. Uh, so uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson uh, made some controversial statements, I think five or six years ago up in Canada as a psychologist. And now he's written three bestsellers and is a, uh, is all over social media, man, making significant amount of money, but he's still a professor uh, at the University of Toronto. So if I was at one point able to be in one of his classes, that would be uh, that'd be fascinating with someone who I've read their books and and uh, admire. Okay, so here here's a question that came up from Kristen. As a student, would you be more inclined to take class with a professor who's a successful influencer? Kristen, a great question, right? Also, would you choose a university based on that influence? Great question. Yes, and actually, I know what I'm thinking. But let's let's ask you, Rami and Joseph, to, to tackle this question. Would you go to a class where the professor is an influencer, and then and what would you what would you do? Or you think that's a little bit too arrogant? Come on now, give me a break. Why is this professor an influencer? <laughs> I think what makes an influencer and a successful influencer is that they attract followers um, who are into what they're selling. Uh, and, and that could be whether it's an actual product or service, or it could just be selling like the content that they put out. Um, so I use the term selling a little loosely for me personally, would I take a class with a professor who's a successful influencer that depended what that depends on what they're popular for. Um, if it's something that aligns with either a, an interest of mine, um, yeah, I think that would be kind of cool. You can definitely as something cool to say to people like, yeah, I took a, a class with, you know, XYZ professor um, who happens to be popular on these platforms or in this sphere. If it's on the opposite end and maybe it's something that I don't disagree with, or excuse me, that is something that I do disagree with, I probably wouldn't want to listen to more of what they're saying because I already avoid them in the, in the media space. Um, so I think it all comes down to personal taste. Uh, the second part of her question, would I choose an, a university based on an influencer? Um, probably not because it's limited to, you know, one, maybe a couple classes. Um, I think for me personally, there's a lot of other factors, but that's not to say that for somebody else, that could definitely be something of interest. Um, I want to chime really quickly back to what you were talking about, Dr. Terabishi, uh, with the idea of faculty kind of moving more into the influencing space. I think this is, and I agree with Joe, I think this is something absolutely that is coming down the pipeline. Maybe because of professors who want to, but also because universities who are seeking 
revenue wherever they can get it. And if they can find a way to capitalize on a professor's or a faculty member's popularity, why not? You know, they're, they're going to. And, and I think that's just part of the landscape we live in where schools are going to promote these the same way they promote football coaches, right? You go to, you want to go to a school. If you're an athlete, if you're a football player in high school and you want to go to a very competitive football program, oftentimes you're looking at who's the coach, right? And there are arguably some college football coaches who are more popular than NFL coaches. So I think that is something that we can definitely anticipate seeing maybe not immediately, but maybe down the road uh, more so kind of shifting more into the academic space where faculty members who have made a name for themselves either while they're at the university or maybe they bring that with them to the university from wherever they were before. Um, I think that's something that we can definitely see happening down the road uh, in parts because of the ideas and motivations of the faculty members and also in part because of universities who are seeking to really push and promote and publicize their growing uh faculty members who are, who are growing in popularity uh, to seek more revenue and capitalize so, on that however they can. So saying this, we know that being an influencer is not something easy that can be done. You actually have to work to become an influencer in terms of whatever you're putting out there, a video or, or something you write or something you do is, is time commitment and effort and skill and knowledge, Joseph, right? And, yep. and the people that are that are in this realm, again, I mentioned people that actually do this as a job, entertainment, that's natural for them. But for those that are not, an example, a professor, they don't know anything about, you know, creating the TikTok video or the, or the, any other, listen, i give you an example. I asked a student of mine, and because they were, we were trying to cheer up the students, I said to them, I said, hey, let's use TikTok to kind of help them get excited. And they said, yes. And he created a TikTok of me, me being Batman. And it was a huge hit, but I had no clue how it all worked. Right? Should I then hire a company, hire individuals and tell them, hey, I'm going to become an influencer. Your job is to use all this technology and tell me exactly what I should be doing or saying so I get the shares and the likes. Is, is that really what it should, I know this is what it takes to become an influencer, but it's a commitment and it's, it's, a, it's a new world in the sense is you're actually, your, your success in a classroom or wherever you are as a doctor, as a lawyer, if you're a lawyer is how many cases you win, how many clients you get, how many hours you build. As a doctor is how many patients you see, how many surgeries you do, you know, how many people you save their lives. As an accountant, how many tax returns you do, how many hours you build. As a professor, research professor is how many articles you publish and in what journals you publish and how many citations you get. As a teaching professor, how many classes you teach, how many students you get, how many teaching awards you get. These are the metrics. As an influencer, the metrics are different. And that requires you to find a company or individuals to garner these metrics. I, I guess I'm, I'm coming to realization of yeah. this, but what's your reaction? So, Dr. Terbishi, look at what we're doing right now. Suppose this video garnished 20 million views on Facebook in the next 24 hours. The three of us are now famous to an extent. Uh, isn't that of value to George Washington University to have a professor and two students that just had 20 million people watch them discuss entrepreneurship? 
So that almost comes back to a negotiating tool for you. Hey, I have 20 million followers. All of them now want to go to GW and take this MBA program because Dr. Tarabishi is the greatest, the greatest person I've ever listened to. Uh, and that Joseph Hayden and Rami, they're pretty, uh, they're pretty good to go too. So I want to be with this group. There's, there's serious money behind that. And then you're going to ask GW to reimburse you for all your tuition fees. Uh, 100%. <laughs> plus, plus, plus. Say, hey, me, my kids, my grandkids all go to GW for free, right? That's how you'll negotiate this. Because, hey, time is value. You, you value your time now. Rami, what's your reaction to this? So we just got a question, which I think is pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. Who checks these influencers to verify what they're saying is true or not? Honestly, well, you can look at that as uh, beauties in the eye of the beholder. It's... It, it almost doesn't matter if it's true or not uh, in the influencing sphere is, you know, you can look at that right, wrong or indifferent, but I mean, it, it, that's just the nature we're in. You know, if we go against that, then we're really uh, be grappling with our first amendment freedom of speech. I think the second part of that question, um, whether an influencer's credibility will now be based on number of followers rather than truth and facts. Um, sadly, Absolutely. yes. Yeah. Sadly, yes. I think that we we see that, especially over the last several years, that somebody's reach is often more powerful than what they're actually spewing. Um, so I, I think that it's, it is up to people, uh, followers, consumers, um, what have you, to be informed. As with anything, though, I mean, you wouldn't, you wouldn't go as a consumer, you wouldn't just go necessarily go buy a product off the shelf just because you see it, right? You... You look at it, you look at the packaging, you look at it if it's, an, if it's a food, you look at the nutrition facts. Like you, you want to put in some effort to know what it is you're buying. And I think the same can be said with digestible media content that we watch, uh, not necessarily buy. If you, are, if you are the type of consumer or viewer who wants to make informed decisions about what you bring into your life, um, then I think you'll do the necessary background uh, checks and information checks and research to know if the source of what you're uh, looking at or watching or buying is in line with your own personal values. So hopefully that answers that question. But that, so, that was so, question. so Rami and Joseph, if, um, I kept focusing on the professor because I was trying to make sense making of it in my end. But what about students? What about students like you all that are graduating? Should they, not maybe now, but in the future, are companies going to be hiring you or submitting an offer to you based on how many followers you have. And if you are an influencer, imagine if you are in different industries, marketing, entertainment, um, even other things where you come in with a set of followers, networks, uh, connections that you say, you know what, we're going to offer you a salary, but based on the other things that you bring into us, that creates instant credibility for us because you're working for us. You'd be like, yeah, and I want a bonus. I want a $250,000 bonus because I have 10 million followers. And yes, I'm going to be working for you all on heading your new product development, but I have 10 million followers that will attest to the quality of your product. I need a cut of every single sale you do. Is that the future then of, of employee-employer relations when we bring these stars in? Absolutely. But to counter that, if the product is worthless, you have 10 million people that are now calling out that product to be worthless. But so you're threatening them. I was thinking positive. No, no, no. You mean? I'm just saying, if, if I'm an influencer and I'm peddling a product that's garbage and my the people that I influence run out and buy that product and it's garbage, garbage, that really will hurt my credibility to them. And they're, you know, for the influencer, your, your, your audience is 
the only thing keeping you keeping you up. So back to the you know, the truth and facts. If if you lie to your audience or if you're called out, then you lose your credibility. So then should we then have a class at GW in the career services is how to become an influencer, how to use social media to develop your CV and resume online versus just your, please fill out your typical resume. Here would be like, no, no, this is no longer a CV. This is more of LinkedIn account. This is more your TikTok account. This is more your Facebook account, Instagram account. I don't know what other accounts are coming up, but now this becomes a whole new deal where you're saying it's not just your CV, which is a regular template to everybody look at the same. It's a different bowl game, if you may. Well, Dr. Tarvisha, that's a that's a really interesting thing to talk about because, um, especially putting it in the framework of like you know offering it as a career service. Uh, I, I think on LinkedIn a couple of weeks ago, I saw that uh, somebody landed a job at some Silicon Valley company uh, by like I think tweeting. Um, the CEO or something like that. Uh, but they, without knowing, without remembering the specifics, they used social media to reach out to this company and a member of this company and in turn landed a job. Uh, and, and their, their request went, you know, viral on LinkedIn and people were talking about it and stuff. So, but even with that example though, I, I think that it is very specific to what your career interest is. Uh, and you asked, if you go into a, uh, an interview, if you bring all of these followers on social media and this popularity and this personal brand, would that help you? I think it depends on what you're applying for. Um, if you're going to apply for a social media manager position, absolutely. Um, knowing how to utilize these platforms and having examples of how you've done that for yourself or for other people in the past, absolutely helps support your candidacy for the job. Um, but if you are... And perhaps more, uh, if you're perhaps more interested in industries that don't really benefit from increased social media presence, then I think it's probably not going to work as much to your advantage. So it is very specific to, I think, what you're interested in and whether or not your social media savvy lends itself to that industry or that specific company and their ability to capitalize off of that. So I'm going to switch now to my entrepreneurial hat, not as a professor. So if listening to all of you here, right? So here's an idea for a new business. I go find 20 bright students, and I know two of them now because I'm talking to them, right? I'm going to get a staff of 20, and I say I'm going to get people that are good with video, good people that are good with social media, people good with content writing, and then people good that already have connections to other networks that they can can influence. There are many influencers. Right, I bring my team here, and then I go to the number one researcher in the area at GW and other schools and say to them, I say, listen, for $500 a month, you get five hours of my team coming in and promoting you on all social medias, right? And you now have zero. By the end of month six, you will have... I don't know, 50,000 followers, right? And it's a $500 monthly expense and it really helps. I get 10 of them at $500 a month. That's good revenue for me. And I'm employing people. I'm creating awareness for them. And then if one of them, one of them, I just need one of the 10 to make it big. In the contract, I get 20% of all their sales. 
or their contracts. Then I can have a talent agency of people. Is, is that not right? A, a smart business proposition for starting a business? So, Professor, I, I absolutely understand that notion, but I think, at least in my observation, the successful influencers uh, kind of have to do it grassroots. I think the proposition you're proposing uh, will be looked at as more mainstream. And I think a lot of people would see through that. Or maybe they wouldn't, and it's a money-making, but- uh, How would they know? How would they know that I have I have you and, and and Rami and a couple other people helping me put stuff on TikTok, Instagram, and stuff? How would they know? It's just me. They think it's me putting it, but you're putting it on my behalf or whatever professor's behalf. I mean that that can be said with any currently popular influencer. I think if you go to the average person who watches their videos and ask them, "Oh, do you know every person who's on this person's team?" They're not going to know. They're going to think that. So let's use Charlie, for example, because we talked about her in our presentation. She has a team who helps her. And yes, we can probably imagine that she is thinking of the content or stuff, but she definitely has a group of people who, you know, help her with content creation, who help her with, uh, you know, uh, posting, editing, uh, and, and everything that goes into what she does. So these are kind of the behind the scenes people sometimes. Um, but every great business has a team behind it that will not always get the spotlight. Exactly. You, you, you are a brand, as you said. Didn't you all say you are a brand? And for brand management, you have to have a team. Correct, Joseph? You know, you even the sister of the person complained about this. You know, so she was engaged. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's not like he was all by himself. He had people complaining to, and they say, well, let me see how I can help you. And she was telling you about it. And Dr. Right, Chair, the really yep. sad, the really savvy behind the scenes people will know how to ride the coattails and become popular themselves. Exactly. Or you know what? Maybe they don't want to be popular, but they want to make someone popular. It, right. Everybody has their own. It's an all your, about your ambition. Yeah. Your personal so, so, ambition. So saying this, while well, we are starting a new business here. <laughs> right, and we already, I'm already, the machine is working here, but we're going to start, right? What does it say about you, you all, the students, and your, and your future careers here, knowing that this is all happening here? Because as for us as faculty and, and people that are a little bit down the line in careers-wise, we look at this phenomenon saying, wow, you know, the word is like, wow. TikTok is a wow for us. It's so novel. But you guys are, are living it. What's your reaction to all of this? And how do you use this for your future careers? You all are starting out here. For us, our exciting thing was the internet <laughs> and email, you know, and then and BlackBerry. And, you know, but you guys now have more than any of this stuff. I mean, I'm sure, there's, I'm sure there's thousands of people that if they could get their, you know, go from 10 followers to 100 followers to 500 followers would, would absolutely pay for that. Yeah, but 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 you, Joseph and Rami, what about your careers? You know, because as a professor, at the end, what I care about is your successes. You know, I mean, I've achieved my successes. Your successes is what makes me happy or successful. You know, when I see students become successful, how do you see this technology in your path to success? You know, and that's really 
the question I have, you know, as faculty, we've attained the highest level of degrees, recognition and stuff, but you are just to graduate, about to graduate and start your new career. How would you use this to further your career success? I mean, I don't know if I necessarily see myself as somebody using platforms like Instagram and TikTok to, to promote my own career success. Uh, I kind of, my own personal values are to, to build career success a little bit more organically. Um, and I, I say that as I'm being live streamed on Facebook. <laughs> um, but, uh, but that that aside, uh, you know, I, I think every every generation has, you know, that kind of same question. Are you going to use the tools available to you at that period of time to reach the success that you desire? Um, and I don't think if somebody doesn't want to use social media to their career benefit, I don't think that necessarily means they're going to be less successful at all. Um, but I think everybody has their own way of cultivating that success. And that's what makes it so fascinating is that there's so many different examples and, and, and every case is individualistic to the person or team behind it. Um, so why or, or Joe may not want to necessarily use TikTok and Instagram, for example, to become popular and become successful. Um, that's not to say that we're less ambitious or, or that we're going to be less successful in our careers, but we're finding ways that feel natural to our career paths. Um, and for me personally, for my career path, that feel natural to kind of reach that success that, that I desire. Um, and social media may not necessarily be a part of that now, but who knows? Like I said, it's always changing. So 10 years from now, I might be on the latest social media fad uh, using it uh, to, to my advantage. Yeah, and Joseph, what about you, Joseph? So I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. So it's a hard question <laughs> to answer. <laughs> you guys have the best sense of humor. Okay. <laughs> you don't know? Or no, you have I, no idea? No, I, I really don't. Um, I'm retiring from the, the military here very shortly and there's a lot of work to be had. I just haven't decided what I want to do. You know, I, I have to say, and, and we're going to wrap up this webinar here. This has been one of the best webinars I've ever conducted. And your your, um, your enthusiasm, honesty, kindness, and empathy, and, and, and optimism is just, it's just unbelievable. And if, if the world is going to be a better place, we need more people like you. And, and and I have to say this as a as a as a father, I wish my sons will grow up to be like you, you know, because you have the value systems, and that any father or mother would like to see her children in. As a professor, I am so proud of George Washington University, the School of Business, to have um, the education that you have received and the learnings that you have received are just incredible. As an employer, I would like to steal you all and hire right off the bat. To come and work for my company because of what you bring in with knowledge, with learning, with 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 the ability to pivot and learn and and, and produce is just incredible. But as a world as a whole, we're every time I listen to the news, I get depressed. But if I know people like you that are coming and soon will be in leadership positions, I think we're right in the ship to move forward. And I think this is what it takes to to kind of get us going in the right path here. So with that. And I think, on, and, and I want to say on behalf of GW, George Washington School of Business, the International Council for Small Business, I want to thank you. Thank you from our bottom of our heart for, for this wonderful webinar. 
you've really touched my heart today and and uh, and everybody that's watching it here and people will watch this people will recognize this and then they'll be in touch with you and i'll be sharing their your email addresses and with you so they can reach out i i encourage you to to showcase it to many people as possible and you have a wonderful wonderful future ahead and thank you very much joseph and ram really really thank you thank you professor Thank you so much, Dr. Terbish. Yeah, it was it was an honor to be here, and thanks, Joseph, for uh, for joining me for this uh, for this journey. It's been a real blast. Yes. Yep. Take care, everybody. Bye bye. Stay tuned for a quick introduction of Dr. Terabishi and the International Council for Small Business (ICSB). Dr. Ayman L. Terabishi is currently the president and CEO of the International Council for Small Business, ICSB. ICSB it was founded in 1955. It is the oldest and largest nonprofit organization represented in 195 countries that is dedicated to supporting micro, small businesses, and entrepreneurs. Dr. El Terabishi currently holds the deputy chairperson at the Department of Management at the George Washington School of Business. He is the only faculty member in George Washington that lectures in nationally ranked programs. In 2021, he was voted as the best online faculty at the George Washington School of Business. Dr. El Terabishi also held the most outstanding faculty member award for five consecutive years from 2010 to 2015. Remembered as one of his most outstanding achievements, Dr. El Terabishi played a central role in creating and promoting the United Nations Micro, Small, and Medium-Sized Enterprises MSMEs Day. With his novel idea, Dr. El Terabishi managed to work closely with the permanent mission of Argentina to propose a resolution to dedicate a United Nations International Name Day to MSMEs. Approved by the United Nations General Assembly, the proposal was presented by the permanent mission of Argentina and 54 countries. Thus, 5.5 billion people acted as co-signers of this resolution. From that day forward, June 27th has been recognized as the official UN MSME Day. Founded in 1955, the International Council for Small Business, ICSB, was the first international membership organization to promote the growth and development of small businesses worldwide. The organization brings together educators, researchers, policymakers, and practitioners from around the world to share knowledge and expertise in their respective fields through publications, programs, workshops, training sessions, and certifications. ICSP is the originator of the United Nations resolution to create an international name day dedicated to micro, small, and medium-sized enterprises on June 27th, MSME's Day. The ICSP's premier World Congress is held every June around the world and brings together leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs. For more information on the International Council for Small Business, check out our social media pages. It will be linked in the show notes, the podcast description below. Our email at media at icsb.org. Check out our website at icsb.org. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Instagram. Thank you and stay safe out there.
Oh, 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 oh,